Energy Thinks, a podcast about how the oil and gas industry can future-proof against rising social risk and lead the world into the energy future. I'm Tisha Schuler, your host and the CEO of Adam and Teen Energy. This is the last episode of season four, and it is really a good one tying all kinds of things together. As you know, I'm working on my next book about how game-changing leaders can translate decarbonization aspiration into action. And no one is taking a more public position on how to do this than Toby Rice, president and CEO of EQT Corporation. So Toby has a BS in chemistry from Rollins College. He started, you'll hear about this in the podcast, how he's, he and his brother started Rice Energy and which merged with EQT. And then later he came back as the CEO. He's also a partner at Rice Investment Group. You can learn more about Toby's biography in our show notes. And I think you'll be interested to hear in this conversation, some of his thoughts of what emerging leaders, what qualities they need to be developing and what cultural components companies need to have so that we can lead into the energy future. Now, here's my conversation with Toby Rice. Toby Rice, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me on the Energy Thinks podcast. Hey, thanks, Tisha. So you have been really out in the world talking about EQT's plans to unleash US LNG. And I really admire your approach because it addresses what the public is most concerned about with natural gas, which is our environmental footprint. And you provide the solution in the context of what a lot of the the skeptical public cares about. Tell us a little bit about um, what kind of reception you're getting and what motivated you to take on this charge. Yeah, say real brief up front. I mean, the reception has been has been overwhelmingly supportive. I'll tell you, I think the reason why is for a few reasons. Number one, the plan that we propose is extremely targeted, um, addressing the biggest source of emissions on the planet, which is foreign coal. It's not going to cause people to completely flip their lifestyles upside down. You know, I, I saw an article the other day uh, in UK, they were going to feed their kids mealworms for lunch as, and in a, in a hope to help address climate and the emissions associated with agriculture. I said, man, these are the type of extreme solutions that people are being proposed. And, and I say, hey, let's give these kids chicken nuggets and some LNG. We'll have just a, it'll have an even bigger impact on the environment. But it's a very targeted approach. Um, it's incredibly impactful. You know, if we can unleash US LNG, it's, it's a plan that would uh, call for a 50 BCF a day increase in, in natural gas production here in the United States. Slated for exports, that would be a fourfold increase and LNG exports that we're currently doing today. Um, it would have the environmental equivalent of, of electrifying every vehicle in the country, putting solar panels in every house in America, and also doubling U.S. wind capacity. It's absolutely massive. That's why we call it uh, the biggest green initiative on the planet. The other thing I'd say is, you know, in a world that cares about energy security, and you look at what's happening in Europe, in a world that cares about energy prices, you look at what's happening here domestically, you step back and realize the world that we'll be in if we can actually be successful in bringing this production above ground. It's going to bring an unprecedented amount of energy security and low prices to here to, to us as Americans. So, you know, 50% surplus energy flowing through the veins of America um, is going to give our, our industry the ability to respond to prices. You know, right now to respond to prices, it's an 18 month cycle time, you know, with shale. In this scenario, we'll be able to respond in 18 hours. I mean, stores will be full, volatility will be low, and, and prices will be secure here for Americans. In addition, it'll also provide really amazing security for our allies. You know, 50 BCF a day in LNG exports is equivalent to replacing Russia two and a half times over. Russia exports around 20 BCF a day of gas. So incredibly impactful there. And I'd say the last thing, which we don't really talk about, is it, it also is, is really impactful on the economy. This, this plan would create 300,000 high paying jobs. And that's about $30 billion in, in wages per year. So if you care about the environment, if you care about 
energy security and low prices if you care about the economy, you should care about unleashing US LNG. So we're excited about, about the reaction we, we've got. The motivation was really starts with our higher purpose. You know, when we sold my first company, Rice Energy, our higher purpose back then was to help bring energy independence to America. That was a very lofty, ambitious goal. And in 2007, we started the company. Ten years later, we grew to a top 10 producer of natural gas in the country. And America, you know, had claimed their energy independence. It was amazing. Um, We decided at that time to sell our company to a a neighbor, uh, EQT. And when Rice Energy and EQT combined, that combination is what created America's largest natural gas producer. When I stepped back, I was retired, I was thinking about what's next in life for me. It was all about making an impact. And that meant there's a bunch of ways you can do it. The thing that was most striking to me was the correlation between energy consumption and human progress. Really amazing correlation. The more energy people use, the better quality life. It's that simple. The more energy people use, the longer they live. So if you want to make an impact on this world, find a way to bring more energy into this world. And EQ having the opportunity to join EQT was an amazing platform as America's largest natural gas producer to bring more cheap, reliable energy into this world. And we've been doing that very successfully. Uh, but unfortunately, over the last five years, uh, our ability to do that has been hindered significantly. Specifically, there's been a lot of pipeline blockages up here in Appalachia. And the reason why people have, have blocked these pipelines is because of their concerns for the climate. I mean, that was the root cause of it. So you know, if we want to continue to, to do the great work that we do, we need to help uh, address uh, these concerns over climate. We're not taking an approach where we're going to try and convince people that they should not be concerned about climate. That's not our argument. There's other people that can have that debate. Our angle was, can we step back and look at some things that we can do to help address people's concerns over climate? That started by looking at what the leader in lowering emissions around the world has done. That's the United States. Uh, We've lowered emissions over a billion tons in the last 15 years. Nobody has even come close to that type of performance. I think the UK has reduced emissions 188 million tons for perspective. And what did the United States do? How did we achieve that? Well, over 60% of the emission reduction efforts came from doing one thing, and that's replacing coal with natural gas for power generation. That's simple. (laughs) So understanding that that tool, you know, we, we step back and look and say, okay, when it comes to emissions around the world, what's the biggest source of emissions around the world? And wow, what a surprise. The biggest source of emissions around the world is foreign coal. Almost 50% of, of emissions come from foreign coal. This is a really great opportunity. We realized, well, why don't we just do what we did in the United States, except do it on a world stage? So we have a tremendous resource here in the U.S., the natural gas resources we have can move, get moved to the water, convert into LNG, and then shipped to replace foreign coal around the world. And every BCF a day that we can put on the water to replace foreign coal will have the environmental impact of reducing 30 million tons of emissions. And so when you quantify the impact of how big we can make it, you know, we can increase LNG exports by over 50 BCF a day. It's over one and a half billion tons of CO2 equivalent per year. It's absolutely massive. It's incredibly exciting to be a part of it, but that really is, is the motivation. It's the higher purpose for us at EQT is really two things. It's to provide energy security to the world while also helping arrest climate change. And so unleashing US LNG is, is an initiative that's going to allow us to achieve both of those higher purpose goals. So I really love this because I imagine you were working on this uh, unleash a US LNG uh, strategy and thinking and the study and work you all put behind it before Russia invaded Ukraine. And then that invasion allowed our industry what I think is a once in a generation opportunity to change the narrative around the about the role of natural gas in the world for a couple of reasons. One, in the US, we can produce the cleanest molecules on earth and people now have an acute awareness of how much they want those molecules. And then second, and this is what 
what's so thoughtful about your approach, we can do it while simultaneously addressing climate. And so we're not saying like so many people are, you have to choose between energy security and energy prices, or you have to choose between grubs and steaks. Like we're not saying that we're saying you can have both because um, the North American oil and gas industry can actually address climate at scale like no one else can anywhere. So I love that you're doing that. I love that you're out there and you're tying this to, to the biggest challenge we have in the US, which is getting infrastructure of any kind built anywhere, but it's particularly challenging around anything with fossils. I imagine as you've had this show on the road, you've learned some things about what works, how to connect with people who disagree with us, how to get policymakers who have maybe built the last decade of their career on being anti-fossil. What have you learned about how to connect and make this argument with people that might have not have supported us in the past? I think um, our approach, and, and I think a lot of the people in this industry in the past, it's it's been a boxing match. It's been, you know, fighting against renewables and um, I, I think we look at this in a different approach and maybe we're not boxing, maybe, maybe we're doing judo and maybe we're taking people's concerns and moving with that and addressing that. I mean, this is the, you know, normally you'd say, Hey, unleash USLNG. This is an amazing opportunity for energy security and job creation. You'd, you'd lead with that. We're leading with the environmental benefits. And this is the first time I, I think this industry has put an environmental centric argument for why we should do more of what we're doing. You know, the biggest thing that I, I ask for when, when we're out there talking about this idea is is just for people to have an open mind. You know, it's it's really scary to think that, you know, people have been talking about climate for a long time and a lot of people have set their views on what it, what's what the problem is, what the solutions are and what's actually going to get us there. Um, you know, and, and that's not going being closed-minded is not going to be a mentality that's going to enable us to innovate to these to these solutions. You know, I saw yesterday, you know, the governor and Arnold Schwarzenegger said that, you know, we've got the technology solutions to address climate change. We just need to do it. It's and it's like, well, if you think that we can power the world with a little post stamp of Idaho that's covered with solar panels, like go do it. That would be amazing if, if that worked, but it, it doesn't. And we don't have these zero carbon solutions that are ready to carry the weight of the world. You know, hydrocarbons make up over 80 percent of the energy use in this world. Solar and wind only make up three percent. Good solutions, but not ready for the world stage. And I hope that 22, this calendar year, is is really an opportunity for us to recalibrate our approach and how we think about climate. And I think if I had to frame up sort of in the past, the approach has been only zero carbon solutions only. That's all we can think about is zero carbon solutions. We will innovate there and we'll get it there. We'll find the zero carbon solution. Well, where we're at today, these policies that we put in place and this, this bet on only zero carbon solutions, I mean, we are in an energy crisis right now. Prices are through the roof. Inflation is rampant. And oh, by the way, emissions are still rising around the world. What we're asking is don't abandon your desire for a zero carbon economy. Like that would be amazing. But what we do need to do is recognize where we're at. And we need to start understanding that we're in it. We're in not just a race to find cheap, reliable zero carbon energy. We're in a race to decarbonize the world. And in this scenario, we need to put every decarbonizing tool on the playing field and nothing is as decarbonizing as Unleash US LNG. And it needs to give serious consideration. And by doing that, it's going to buy us time. It's going to liberate billions of people in this world. 
We're going to get more people educated. And guess what? I, I bet you there's another Elon Musk in that 3 billion people around the world that are living in energy poverty uh, that have less electricity than it takes from the fridge. We educate these people that will also be able to help help us figure out these solutions. But that's that's what we ask for. But that's the perspective change that I think is really important for us all to keep in mind as we're having these conversations. Yeah, I really like that because, I mean, the, the argument that I make out in the world and I and your vision here really, I think, puts numbers behind it, which is addressing climate happens better, faster, cheaper with the oil and gas industry leading the charge. And our industry has historically, as you mentioned, seen it as a threat, which doesn't help us make the case that we actually are one, if not the single biggest contributor to to being able to accelerate a decarbonization. I'm I'm curious as you've been work, you know talking within the industry and outside of the industry, where have you changed your mind? Where has your thinking evolved about about how we go about this? Were you a boxer before, and now you said um, jujitsu? I think like tango dancing. Like where are we going to take this? You know, with our historic opponent opponents. Yeah. Um, what are ways that your thinking has evolved, Toby? Well, I, I think. This was always something that I didn't really see how it was it was really influencing the, the world and making an impact on, on my world specifically. Well, you can't ignore it anymore. So I, I'd say that's probably the most important thing. You know, to be an energy executive today, uh, in the past, all you need to do is you need to know how to, you know, find oil and gas, get it out of the ground effectively, make a profit, make a generate a profit. To be an energy executive today, you need to understand climate because it is a it is a big thing um, that's pressing against your business. But listen, I mean, the more I read about this, the more convicted I have, more conviction I have that this world, if if the world wants to meet their climate goals, this world needs the energy industry. They need oil and gas to get in here and do it because we are, and this is the most concerning thing I have about a lot of the policies that are being put in place is talking about, you know, eliminating hydrocarbons in the, in the oil and gas companies. And my biggest concern there is if you want to win the race to zero carbon, you want to win that energy transition, we are the best, we have the best vehicle to do that because guess what? We have a track record of dealing with crisis and actually going through an energy transition 20 years ago. This industry, we were going through a crisis. This world was going through a crisis and it was peak oil running out of energy. What did this industry do to respond? We went through a transition. We transitioned from drilling and developing conventional reservoirs to drilling unconventional reservoirs, shale. And how did we do that? It was amazing technology, amazing innovation, amazing risk-taking, collaboration, you know, standing up supply chains, all of that. And all of that, we figured out how to crack the code on shale and produce commercial volumes of energy from a reservoir that has less permeability than the pavement we walk on. Okay. And so we went from a crisis where the United States is running out of energy to transitioning to a place where now the United States is an energy powerhouse in the world. That's this industry that's done that. And that didn't happen not too long ago. And what that means is these brains and, and these people that put this together, they're still here. And now you look at where we're at in energy. Energy is all about how can we make our energy cheaper, more reliable and cleaner. Well, we've made our energy cheap. We've made energy, we figured out how to make energy reliable. We've got massive res- resources here that we've discovered in the United States. And now you, this industry is thinking about how to make our energy cleaner. And then the next step is how we're going to make zero carbon energy. And we can do that. And natural gas can be transformed to a zero carbon solution. But that's a part that we really have to get right. This industry has, has created better technology than NASA, arguably. And we have the bit we're the only industry that's proven to go through massive transformation that, you know, can carry the weight of the world. I could not agree more. I, I always think of oil and gas as is the rocket science of the subsurface. So it's funny that you said NASA and we have the most talented um, scientists and engineers anywhere. And 
billions of dollars of um, R&D going on right now. So there really is no one better positioned to lead the energy transition as civil leaders, as well as business leaders, uh, civic leaders, as well as business leaders. Let me ask you, Toby, I'm enamored with the oil and gas millennial workforce. I know you to be a very high profile millennial CEO in the oil and gas industry. And then I noticed that you're talking about purpose, which is one of the things we hear and read about that it's very important to um, our millennial and Gen Z workforces. How are you bringing employees along? And I imagine like many companies, you have some cultural resistance within the company to this idea of being champions of addressing climate. So are you explicitly bringing your workforce along and, and what kind of response are you getting? Yeah, I mean, bringing the employees along starts with the communication. Whether I'm speaking to them directly or you know they're, they're looking at the news or the papers, they're they're getting the message. But you know, I think that the reason why this this really resonates with people is because we're not saying for us to achieve our higher our, our higher purpose, we need to stop being who we are and stop doing what we're doing. I mean, I think oil and gas companies need to be doing way more. And we have the potential to do a lot more. How much more? Let's start with getting energy to the 3 billion people around the world or replacing the 200 BCF a day of coal that's currently being burned that can be replaced with natural gas. That's the opportunity in front of us. And if we do that, to know that we're not just digging holes in the ground to make a profit. That's not what we're about. You know, we we really are making the world a better place and, and people can see the impacts of sometimes you can't see the benefits of oil and gas until you don't have it. Well, you can look at Europe right now. And, you know, one of the things that we don't get credit for is the S. You know, this this is an industry. Our, our product brings peace. It brings prosperity. It brings jobs, um, quality of life, all of that. I've, I've learned from the very beginning, you know, people to really to really drive engagement, people need to be working and knowing that it's not just being motivated by dollars. I mean, we, we are not coin operated. We have heart and we want to make sure that people know that there's a greater good for the work that we're doing. In addition to thinking about the the people that are struggling in Europe right now, I and mean, it's, it's reminding people there's there's 3 billion people around this world that need us and, and need that extra effort from us every day. And I think it's incredibly, it, it's turned out to be incredibly motivating for people. But it's 100% genuine to what this business was designed to do, which is make energy cheap, reliable, and clean for, for the public. We will be right back to the Energy Thinks podcast. But are your company's ESG efforts falling behind the sector? Find out by downloading ESG in 2022, Adam Mateen's latest white paper, to find out which moves ESG leaders in oil and gas are making and what's now standard across the industry. Download ESG in 2022 today at energythinks.com. And now back to the show. Right. It's the almost literal lifeblood of our of our society, moving everything around uh, and creating prosperity. I want you to um, maybe push back on something that I've been telling oil and gas executives that I think might be in contradiction with your vision. And that is um, what I hear you saying is more, more gas production, more pipelines, more export. Uh, just more gas. And I've been really encouraging oil and gas companies to also be thinking about their decarbonization strategy. They're, how are they a zero carbon company in 30 years? So I'm curious if that is also on your radar and if you're thinking about, and, and what, if it is, where does it fit in? How do you essentially like simultaneously double our output and also be thinking about what the EQT of a zero carbon world looks like? Do you do both of those? Or are you really focused on, on just the, the one? No, I think the the ultimate goal, I mean, the holy grail that everybody's looking for in energy is uh, cheap, reliable, zero carbon energy. And I don't care if you're in nuclear, you're in solar, you're in, you're in wind, you're in oil and gas, 
you're a biodiesel, if you're an energy, the ultimate prize is figuring out how to make cheap, reliable, zero carbon energy. But I will tell you this, as long as we are burning wood, dung, coal in, in this world, there's an opportunity to evolve the fuel and the energy that people are using with natural gas, then there is a need in this world for EQT and the product that we do. And as long as that's happening, you know, while our, our scope three and our, our scope one and two emissions for NEQT, we're going to be net zero by 2025. Okay. So the, the emissions associated with us creating our product is going to be net zero. But scope three, and this is where we draw the line in the sand, and there's 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 very little compromise on this from, from our end. From a scope three perspective, we look at the natural gas that we put into this world, which translates to scope three emissions, is actually lowering emissions in the world. And when you recognize that, yes, when people use natural gas to create electricity, it's about, it creates around 20 million tons of emissions. But then you realize, take it one step further and say, well, we're, we're, we're replacing people using coal, foreign coal to do that, which has an emissions impact of 50 million tons. So every BCF, so you could look at EQT and say, wow, you guys have six BCF a day. That's a carbon footprint of about 120 million tons, scope three. I look at that and say, that's a carbon footprint of negative 180 million tons because six BCF a day times negative saving 30 million tons of emissions. That's scope four is what's the emissions of the product that you from what you abate. But listen, I mean, there there is an opportunity for us to reduce our scope three emissions because natural gas is, is amazing in, in the fact that it can actually be transformed into a zero carbon solution. And we can do that by transforming it into blue hydrogen and blue ammonia. And so we have a new ventures group here at EQT that is designed to invest in these and trying to find these cheap, reliable, zero carbon solutions. You know, hydrogen is, is, is very exciting, but you know, What's really interesting about hydrogen is technology exists. We know that we can make blue hydrogen capture the carbon and provide a zero carbon energy source. Problem is, it's not really cost effective. The, the cost that we're looking at right now for hydrogen is around twenty dollars per million BTU. And you know, I was look thinking about this. You know, a year ago, I said, why would anybody pay you know twenty dollars for for hydrogen when they can pay you know nineteen dollars for natural gas or maybe something less than that? But when you look at what Europe's paying today, you know, over thirty dollars for their natural gas. $20 doesn't seem that far off, but it's not good enough. Um, it's not cheap enough. What's really interesting is with hydrogen, about two thirds, the cost isn't in actually transforming the, the methane molecule into a hydrogen molecule. It's really two thirds of the costs are really associated with building out hydrogen infrastructure. What's really amazing about unleashing US LNG is this can set the table for a zero carbon economy of the future, hydrogen economy, because in Unleash US LNG, we now have a reason to rebuild, you know, an incremental 50 BCF a day's worth of pipelines. And when we, when we build those pipelines, let's build them with the future mind. Let's build them hydrogen ready. And by doing that, mm -hmm. we will underwrite the costs associated with a the most significant portion of the costs associated with hydrogen. And while that ultimately will service our ability to do blue hydrogen in the future, it'll also set the table for green hydrogen, pink hydrogen, gold hydrogen, all the hydrogen, whatever colors they come up with can get in this pipe. And I think that's a really amazing opportunity for Unleash US LNG. This is not just a, a play to put more LNG in the world. LNG replacing coal is step one, but going from LNG to hydrogen or another zero carbon solution is, is going to, that's the, that's the setup that, that we'll, we're presenting. 
Let me test out an idea on you, Toby, because your talk of scope three makes me think about the need to have different kinds of conversations with a public and policymakers that are anywhere from skeptical to hostile of the natural gas industry. And what I'm observing that you're doing is you're putting out a big vision, a big vision of reducing emissions globally, of raising people out of poverty and of creating energy security around the world. So it's a big vision that people who are opposed to oil and gas by disposition or habit can get around. And then what you're doing is you're creating space for new kinds of conversations. And the kind of things I hear you talking about are we can and should build more infrastructure. We can think about scope three differently. We can think about scope three, not just as a raw thing that has to go to zero, but as something that's displacing other emissions or raising people out of poverty. So maybe it's a price worth paying. Are you seeing that having big visions, big ideas create space with our historic opponents for new kinds of conversations? Or are we going to have to get even more innovative in how to engage a skeptical public and skeptical policymaker? For my conversations, and for the record, I've been, you know, talking more to people that are, you know, you really, really embracing climate and the and the policies that have been put in place. So, you know, we're, we're not really preaching to the choir here. We're talking to the, the people that have different per- perspectives. And the reaction we're getting is is very supportive on this plan. You know, I, but I think what's what's been successful there. The reason why it's successful is because, like I mentioned before, it's targeted. It's, it's super impactful. You know these big ideas, is it feasible? Can we actually do it? Well, to actually unleash US LNG, all we need to do is add 50 rigs and we can create this this natural gas supply. And is that feasible? Well, we used to run 2000 rigs in this country as a proxy for the supply chains, the equipment, the workforce, the roughnecks. We got it. 50 rigs is not an issue. And I'd say the last thing that that's a really important part of the conversation in any energy transition plan, I mean, make no mistake about it. Unleash US LNG is a energy transition plan. Probably the biggest differentiators between this plan and others in the past is that this plan is truly sustainable and sustainability is the ultimate goal. And I'm not talking about the environment. I'm talking about sustainability, meaning it's profitable. And we believe that we can put natural gas on the doorsteps of Europe for a cost of $9. And that would imply a $4 gas price here in the United States. $4 gas price here in the United States is lower than the 20 year average for natural gas here. So we'd be saving Americans money. $9 for Europe is going to be a significant uh, cost savings to, to what they're paying. It's a 30% of what they're currently paying today. $9 natural gas in Europe is the equivalent of $36 oil. Like who wouldn't love that? So, but with that price structure, the upstream, the midstream and the downstream, the people that are making these investments to make Unleash US LNG a reality can generate, you know, modest returns and we can be profitable. And because of that, this is something that we can do very rapidly and we can do it without any government support. What I'm saying is Unleash US LNG is going to the biggest to launch the biggest green initiative on the planet. It's going to cost the government and the American taxpayer zero dollars. We'll do it because it truly is a sustainable solution. So, I mean, that that's sort of been the points. But, you know, I'd say ultimately I'm going to get I'm going to run into somebody that just says no. Uh, and that person is going to be somebody that believes that only zero carbon solutions should be put on the playing field. And, you know, wind and solar are, are great in the right application. But, you know, people underestimate how much energy what, what these people are missing is they don't understand how much energy demand there is around the world. And when solar and wind cannot meet that energy demand, people are going to use coal. OK, 
And we can't judge them for that. These people deserve a quality of life and they're going to use coal. Well, in the last 12 months, coal use around the world has soared and emissions from coal, foreign coal has increased uh, emissions over 500 million tons. Now to put that in perspective, that amount of emissions completely wipes out all of the environmental benefits that we've received from solar and wind investments here in the United States in the last 15 years. I mean, let me say that again, and I say it very, very plainly. 12 months of not addressing foreign coal has wiped out every single investment in renewables here in the United States that we've done in the last 15 years. <laughs> Put it in perspective, you know, we need a global solution to a global issue. And the only thing that the heavyweight solution is unleashing US LNG on the world stage. And that's probably the biggest thing that we've said with, with people is, yeah, we've done amazing things here in the United States, but while we've reduced emissions a billion tons here within our borders, emissions outside of our borders have increased over 4 billion tons, you know? Um, and that's really helpful because to be honest with you, I do feel like there is a little bit of herd mentality with a lot of the general public. They know climate change is an issue they should be concerned about. You start digging in, there's really not a deep understanding of it. Um, obviously, policymakers are a lot, a lot deeper on that. That just means there's a really big opportunity for us to educate. And I, I think the biggest challenge that we face is the fact that the public in general is, is generally uneducated about energy, but the biggest opportunity we, we have is that the public is, is generally uneducated about energy. And so we just need to get this message out and you'll see people will, will, will understand that, yeah, this makes total sense. When we present Unleash US LNG, and we ask the question at the end, do you support, should we unleash US LNG? Over 88% of the people say yes. And, and so that's a, so that's a good- yeah, it's so interesting. And I, I characterize it a little differently, although I think it comes to the same endpoint, which is that, you know, maybe 80 percent of the public is loosely tied to their political identity. And in that, based on, you know, they think they're liberal or they think they're conservative, then they do or don't support use of U.S. oil and gas. And what you're offering through your unique leadership approach here, which is a civic leadership approach, not just a company leadership approach, is let's have a new paradigm. Let's have have a shared vision. Let's address big things. Um, let's show that we can do it pragmatically. And then let's get to work together. And we're not even asking you for money. We're just asking you to remove obstacles <laughs> to get to getting new things built, which P.S. We're going to need to build anything, including more transmission lines for wind and solar. So we need a big paradigm shift on the energy transition requires building big things. And I think you're creating a new way of thinking about that, Toby. Let me ask you how other leaders in the oil and gas industry, particularly emerging leaders, are probably watching this and thinking, I'm going to need new skills to be an energy executive. It's not just engineering anymore. What are you telling emerging leaders? What should they be cultivating in their um, skill sets, in their uh, abilities, qualities? What are you looking for in your next generation of leaders? Well, I think energy leaders need to think about the product that we we create and, and the, the new product demands. In the past, energy just needed to be cheap and reliable. Now, energy needs to be cheap, reliable, and clean. And so understanding that aspect of energy and the things that we can do to, to create that type of product is really important. You know, I think that you're gonna you're gonna also have to see the transparency that that needs to come along with that is, is incredibly important as well. You look at the responsibly certified gas programs that are taking place. It's one thing for us to say our energy is clean, look at our reports. We we need to bring in those third party environmental accountants to come in there and certify. That's really important. You know, you know, we while we while we do produce a commodity, 
you know, there is going to be a differentiation on this commodity based on the environmental performance. You know, blueberries are a commodity, you know, farm to table. People want to understand where, where those blueberries come from. They're going to want to do the same thing with their natural gas. So that's sort of the, the I'd say, just the new the new element that people are looking at. But listen, what's amazing is this industry is already embracing this. And and you look at the envi- the biggest environmental concern that people have about energy right now is methane emissions. And what is the in- is what is the industry doing about this? You know, this industry is going to knock methane emissions out of the park. And you're know, bulletproofing our operations. We know where these emissions are coming from. And you look at the, how the industry has responded pretty aggressively on doing responsibly certified gas to, to actually bulletproof, show, show the results, replacing the pneumatic devices for natural gas, eliminating routine flaring for oil. So, I mean, I was talking to some, some members in, in D.C., we're going to knock emissions out of the park. I said, why, why can you be so confident? I said, well, number one, it's happening right now. And they say, but it's not done yet. I said, well, listen, we also have a track record you guys need to think about. You know, this is not the only time this industry has had to deal with an environmental concern. Ten years ago, if you remember, there was a concern about hydraulic fracturing. I mean, remember how scared people were about hydraulic fracturing. What did this industry do? Did we ignore it? No, we embraced it. We took it. We took it very seriously, and we bulletproofed through our operations and created radical transparency with FrackFocus.org, where we submit our, our chemicals there. And in 2016, a few years later, the EPA came out and said hydraulic fracturing is safe. Methane emissions is the exact same playbook in this industry. I imagine you're gonna you're gonna continue to see rapid progress on, on addressing these things. But all of this means, like from a leadership perspective, it's not just about digging a hole in the ground and making making money. It, this is this really is stakeholders. It's landowners. It's the environment. Mother Earth. Is, is a stakeholder. And we've got to be, I'd say, compassionate about the concerns that a lot of people have. And that's that's the hard part as a leader. You know, the bigger your company gets, the more stakeholders you try and you try and satisfy, that the more opportunities where you're going to have to be a leader and say, this is going to impact this group, but this is the right thing. And that's where you need to have values and you need to be aligned with your, your mission and your higher purpose and all that stuff. But it's, it's easy re- to say. It's, I it's really do think, um, yeah, these ideas of the higher purpose, the values, the explicit components of the cu- culture. Now we also have a lot of components of diversity, equity, inclusion, racial equity and justice, environmental justice out in our communities. These interfaces with the outside world just keep growing in their complexity and in their expectations. Um, What are some of the things within um, EQT culture that you see needing to evolve or having evolved to become the, you know, the energy company of the future that, that you are? Yeah. For us to realize our full potential at EQT, we need two things. We need more pipelines and LNG facilities. From a cultural, that's what we need. From a culture perspective, I mean, keep in mind, I don't, for the people that are listening, I mean, I did not get the CEO title here at EQT by climbing the corporate ladder. You know, when I sold rice to EQT, I stepped back and there were some operational issues in the company. And about a year later, the shareholders called me back and said, hey, will you take this thing over? And, um, you know, we came in here, we looked at the way that the company was was operating and said, there's a massive opportunity for us to create a whole lot more value, but we have to drastically change the way that the company operates. We got to change the operations. We got to change the people. We got to change the technology. And basically it was a cultural overhaul at EQT. So <laughs> we've done a lot of that, you know, optimization at, since we got started in July of 2019. So, but I'd say the one thing that we're always, where we can never do enough is we can never do enough to drive engagement. So like our company, like the first thing we did was, you know, make sure we have, you know, the right leaders in place. We, we added new executives. We organized the department from 48 different, 58 different departments. If think about that. Gas company, we have 58 different departments. Streamlined it down to 15, got the right leaders there, and then broken the team down into about 90 different teams underneath that. The really amazing thing is 
that's really where a lot of the lead, the, the personnel changes stopped. I mean, the people that are producing these results today is one of the best things about it. Put in the values of trust, teamwork, heart, and, and evolution. That's something that you know, making sure people don't just know the words, but what are the behaviors that you can show that represent our values and not, and, not, and celebrating those and, and, and the engagement. I mean, ultimately for us with our people, we, we want our people to be happy. And that's something where we can always make our people happier. And, and for us, we believe the keys to happiness is challenging the employees, making them more productive, recognizing them, and then also having fun. And, um, you know, having fun is for us the most fun for, thing for me to do is is to win and to do it under the constraints of our values is even is even better. So culture engagement is really important, especially at a company like EQT, because engaged employees they take care of the details. And at a big scale company at EQT, like we're largest producer of natural gas in the country, for us the details are translate to significant dollars. Every penny that we can of cost that we can squeeze out of our system translates on a dollar per MCF basis translates to twenty million dollars. And, and every penny that we can get in, in higher realized pricing translates to $20 million. So that's been a big thing that we've really focused on is how do we drive the engagement to drive the results while also making sure people understand our higher purpose and the bigger picture and making sure people focus on what matters. But um, I'd say the leaders, the leadership here, the executive team, the department heads, and all of our, our senior managers have done a really great job of balancing the higher purpose with the actual performance and making sure that, that, that everybody's engaged while we're doing it. That's great. Two final questions for you, Toby. And they're going to try to get to the heart of who is Toby Rice, because our audience knows you because you're out in the public sphere taking on high profile uh, conversations and engagements. And I imagine that that takes a lot of energy and that it also is challenging at times. So what is your deep motivator to keep doing this, to get up and to put yourself out um, on the front lines of, of this work? It's the reason we got back involved. It's it's the it's making an impact in this world and doing that by you putting more energy, putting more energy to the world to, to lift people out of poverty. I mean, I, go to, I, I think about it every day uh, when I go to sleep, you know, I think about the 3 billion people around the world that, that are struggling. And I think about, I, I also think about the people that are really scared about their future because of the concerns about climate. And you think about both the, both these things. And, and um, so that's, that's really what, what drives, what drives me personally. So that that's what I'm playing for I me. Mean, that that's been a, a nice like we we're really lucky in the fact that we we were able to have some success. I mean, you know, I don't know if your your viewers know, but I mean, the success rate for a, a startup oil and gas company, which is where the Rice Brothers started back in 2007. I mean, the success rate for oil and gas is like two percent. So like the fact that we're here, like we are incredibly grateful for this opportunity. And for me, I think we uh, one thing that's important to know about us and I think the brothers is like the way we define success isn't just based on what you've accomplished. It's what you've accomplished with your abilities. And when you look at success like that, you realize, man, there's a whole heck of a lot more that we need to do before we can say it. And for me, that's ultimately recognizing, you know, am I, are we realizing our full potential? And that's why, you know, we're, we're really pushing for this Unleash US LNG campaign, because this is the only way the every all, all citizens of this world can reach their full potential is they need to get access to more energy. It's the only way that this country can realize the full potential and in, in helping the world meet their climate goals. And it's the only way that this this company could realize the full potential. We've got over 1.6 million acres. And you know, there's a tremendous opportunity for us to bring more of those that energy into the world. But we'll, we'll, we're going to do it in a disciplined, sustainable fashion. There's so much for oil and gas employees to be proud of and the impact that we have today. And then to be motivated by the impact we can have in the world. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Last question for you. What are you looking forward to? Unleashing US LNG. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> 
Toby, thanks so much for joining me on the Energy Things podcast. Thanks, Tisha. That's our episode for today and the last episode of season four. Thanks so much to Toby for taking time to share his insights with us. I really loved, actually, he mentioned it very quickly, but I loved how he talked about trust, team, heart um, as qualities of the company's culture. And I also really enjoyed hearing about what personally motivates Toby. I'd like to know what you found interesting. So if you can uh, reach out to us at energythinks.com. If you are enjoying what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate and review us. It helps other oil and gas leaders find the Energy Thinks podcast. And you can even share it with a couple colleagues. That would be great. I want to thank Adon Rubio, Lindsay Slaughter, and Michael Tanner for doing all the things that has made season four of the Energy Thinks podcast possible. That's it for this season. Until next time, I'm Tisha Schuler, wishing you and yours happiness, prosperity, and good health.